Seeing her coming out of the darkness like a ghost ship still gets me every time. This drawing that we found just today. A piece of paper that's been underwater for 85 years. I'll be damned. All right, you have my attention. Can you tell us who the woman in the picture is? Oh, yes. The woman in the picture is me. Louis XVI wore a stone called the Blue Diamond of the Crown. And today it would be worth more than the Hope Diamond. If your grandmother's who she says she is, she was wearing the diamond the night the ship sank. You really think she was there? Oh, yeah. I'm a believer. Are you ready to go back to Titanic? Oh, let me string I could. The book is on the grandest ship in history, and you act as if you're going to your execution. to the likes of her. pocket. I have nothing to offer you, and I know how the world works. I'm flying! What made you think you could put your hands on my fiance? They've got you trapped, Rose, and if you don't break free, you're gonna die. It's a ship. There's only so many places she can be. Find her. It. Don't you believe it, Rose? Rose! Don't you understand? The water is freezing and there aren't enough boats. Half the people on the ship are going to die. Not the better half. What are we doing, Mommy? When I finish putting first-class people on the boats, they'll be starting with us. All the way! Why are the boats being launched half full? For God's sake, there's little children down here! Let us out so we can have a chance! Is you going? What to him?
God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 267, Titanic. And this is listener request number 25, courtesy of Nikki for her birthday. So happy birthday, Nikki. It's been a long time coming to get this episode. (laughs) Indeed. I would say my second favorite DiCaprio Winslet team-up movie. <laughs> I like this more than yeah, Revolutionary okay. Road. Revolutionary Road's my speed, but... No, it's your life. That's true. It's your future. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, Titanic, a cultural phenomenon. Yes, it was the defining film of the 90s. One of, if not the biggest film of all time. Certainly the right combination of box office and tickets sold. I guess you'd have to go tickets sold with Gone with the Wind. Okay. And certainly with inflation, it's the most box office wise. But Gone with the Wind had to have played for like a long time, right? Years, I Yeah, mean. yeah. But as far as the modern world goes, Titanic, I still feel like is a bigger deal than Avatar and the Marvel stuff. It feels that way to me. Part of that is just being old yeah. and grumpy. You're not acknowledging <laughs> anything new. It's just a different time, though. But yeah, you want to talk about a film that dominated the monoculture music yep movies just everywhere everything one of those things everyone knows the reference points yes which is a tremendous achievement for a lot of reasons because obviously we all know that the ship sinks yeah (laughs) we all know what's gonna happen right (laughs) okay so before we get into titanic let's remind our listeners to follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, nice to see some positive sliding in there. <laughs> you say the same <laughs> things every time. And if you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter, and we'll send you one for free. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. Before we jump into the film itself, I guess we should address that we took last week off... Matt is actually traveling. He won't even be in the city No, vacation. when this episode gets posted. We're recording in advance, but we're trying to time this episode for Nikki's birthday, so we're sitting on it after we record it for a week. We'll probably get right back on schedule when he gets back, but as referenced in the Miller's Crossing episode a few weeks ago, instead of One Trashy Summer, we're doing Listener Request Summer. Meaning just June. (laughs) Let's not get too carried away. So June, you will see requests from Jade, Christy, Brian, and Theodore. August, Peter, September, Shane, December, Bill. If there's anyone else out there that feels like they got a listener request in that isn't on that list, 
let me know on Twitter at Greatest Pod. But that's where we're at. I think for 2023, we would only take listener requests from anyone who's never had one before. So you have to be brand new to the listener request game for next year. I think year. that's fair. No that's, more yeah. repeats. <laughs> the listener requests should only make up a certain percentage of our overall catalog. And I think it's exactly. starting to get too high. <laughs> 25 out of 267. Too high, frankly. <laughs> Titanic, of course, was written and directed by James Cameron. It came out in 1997 at the end of the year, I believe, in December. Much like pretty much everything else in my life, I only knew of the Titanic because this movie came out. <laughs> like the historical event. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. The only things I know about history are things that have had movies made about them. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think the Titanic was one of those things that I was obsessed with when I was a little kid. I knew all about it at one point. Oh, I don't know why. What a loser. Well, yeah, I, that's not an up. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't I don't know. It never came never came up. So let's get one thing straight before we get any further. Titanic is 3 hours and 17 minutes long. Oh. The Wikipedia is like a 500-page novel. <laughs> it's War and Peace. There is so much to know about this movie, about its production, about everything that went into it. It's insane how much effort and time, which is what has become James Cameron's track record. We see that with what's going on with the Avatar sequels. It's endless. Yeah. So theoretically, we could do a 10-part series on Titanic, and each episode could be two hours, and we could talk about the production and all of the special effects and the models and everything. We're not going to do that, and this is something that Jade needs to pay attention to, too, with his listener requests coming up in June. (laughs) We're taking a slightly scaled-back approach. We're still going to do our usual shtick, but I think in order to set some realistic ideas about where this is going, there probably will be stuff we leave out, not only from the plot, but yeah. little factoids that I'm sure you know about this movie or whatever. We're not going to cover every single thing about it because it's just way too big. I think that's fair. It is a long-ass movie. Well, I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> I just want everyone to be on the same page All before right, we good. jump into it. Yes. So my personal experience with Titanic is seeing it in the theater. I was probably 14, I would imagine. I saw it with a cousin, and it really just wrapped me up. It's a historical epic and a love story, but comparing it to the usual garbage I was seeing in the sure. late 90s, yeah. which was like shitty comedies, which I love, or teen movies, things like that, I wasn't really at a point where I was regularly seeing R-rated material, and this movie's PG-13, but it definitely should be rated R, which we'll talk about Surely. more later. Yes. It just didn't really compare to anything I had seen. I hadn't seen movies that were three hours long that were this engrossing with all of the historical details. Right. And it just really like sucks you up into this world. And it was a really overwhelming experience for me. Well, I'm pretty sure I did not see it in the theater. <laughs> but it sort of well, feels like, like it. Four years younger than me, right? Yeah, I, so. I, was, I think I was in fifth grade. I had just moved to Massachusetts. You so, probably would have been in fourth grade, because I think I saw I th- it in eighth grade. Okay. Or are you three years younger? No, I'm three years younger than you. Okay. I think grade-wise, anyway. Four years. <laughs> I swear I was in fifth grade when this okay. came out. But it's one of those things where even without seeing it, you feel swept up in the moment of it. Yes. Obviously, the Celine Dion song was everywhere. Even though I was in middle school or whatever, I remember 
a bunch of kids my age did see it. And I probably would have. I used to go to the movies all the time in New York, but when I moved to Massachusetts, it was just no friends all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, A familiar refrain yeah, in your life. Back to that now. I would say that by eighth grade, you're in the throes of puberty and whatnot, so it's not like Kate Winslet was the first actress that I found attractive or anything, but this set off a couple-year run of falling in love with the lead actress of a film that, as you jokingly put out, how is that different from today? <laughs> but it is. It, yeah, yeah, it no. was all-encompassing, right. where you're thinking about it a lot, and <laughs> I'm looking up online, how old is Kate Winslet in the early days of the internet? I'm trying to figure out our age gap. <laughs> Finding out her interests in like teen girl magazines. <laughs> That's what they had for like Leo, I'm sure. They used to have all of those teen magazines with like a whole page of one dude or whatever, like these heartthrobs. And yeah, like and it was probably like, filled out by some sort of a publicist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would say like, I don't like racquetball. Contrasting Leo mania with what was going on with me, I was definitely having a little Kate mania for a while, which sure. was replaced the next year with Drew mania from <laughs> The Wedding Singer. But there yeah. really isn't anything to compare those first two loves of my life. That's right. Understandably <laughs> so. It's just never quite the same. It was a lot to take in. As I'm pretty sure it was like the first nude scene I'd ever seen in a theater. And then just the whole love story in general. Overwhelming. Yeah, it was blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> mind was blown. Yeah, understandably so. It certainly couldn't have been too many years before I finally watched this. It was definitely the double VHS yeah. box set experience for me where you, you had to... I can't remember quite where it cuts off. It might be right after they hit the iceberg. I don't know. I, I don't know if I ever watched it on VHS, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I have a fairly distinct memory of just seeing that double. Oh, yeah. I VHS remember the double VHS. Just, like, see, I don't know if I ever watched it. But even just like sitting at like multiple people's houses. You know what I mean? Like You just see that like everywhere. RMS Titanic was a British passenger liner operated by the White Star Line, which sank in the North Atlantic Ocean on... April 15th, 1912, after striking an iceberg during her maiden voyage from Southampton, UK, to New York City. Of the estimated 2,224 passengers and crew aboard, more than 1,500 died, which made the sinking possibly one of the deadliest for a single ship up to that time. It remains to this day the deadliest peacetime sinking of a superliner or cruise ship, the disaster drew much public attention, provided foundational material for this film, and has inspired many artistic works. For those of you unfamiliar, like Matt was <laughs> before this movie came out, I just think it's good to set that up now because yeah, yeah. it's not like when we're going through the plot, we're going to really what is talk it? about all the details. I mean, it's interesting because it is just this sort of bizarre, unnecessary tragedy. Hey, and they fuckheads. Yeah. There's a big piece of ice. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> Wake up. They do like really kind of hit you over the head with it in the movie too of like how avoidable this could have been. Yeah, and also the hubris of billing it as an unsinkable ship, right. which is real. That was yeah, real. Okay. That, that was talked about. This is an unsinkable ship we've built, which doesn't yeah. even make sense. I know. <laughs> All it took was scraping an iceberg and this thing was hitting the bottom of the Atlantic. <laughs> Cameron's inspiration for the film came from his fascination with shipwrecks. He felt a love story interspersed with the human loss would be essential to convey the emotional impact of the disaster. Production began in 1995 when Cameron shot footage of the actual Titanic wreck. The modern scenes 
on the research vessel were shot on board the academic Mstislav Keldesh, which Cameron had used as a base when filming the wreck. Scale models, computer-generated imagery, and a reconstruction of the Titanic built at Baja Studios were used to recreate the sinking. The film was co-financed by Paramount Pictures and 20th Century Fox. The former handled the distribution in North America, while the latter released the film internationally. It was also the most expensive film ever made at that time, with a production budget of $200 million. Yeah. The sinking looks amazing. You could definitely understand, though, the studios being like, what's the appeal here? (laughs) A giant sinking ship is the climax of the movie? Especially for that budget. There had been other films made about Titanic, and one in particular... A Night to Remember is a huge, That's right. huge influence on Cameron to the point where he basically lifted material from that film. Oh, really? Okay. I've never seen it. Is, it, is that a Criterion? I think so. Yeah. But based on Cameron's track record, I think he had a lot of sway within the studio. They were just expecting something more in the same genre within which he had been working previously, which included both Terminators, The Abyss, True Lies aliens etc and this was not what they were expecting a historical romance and you can tell from some of the early promotional material that doesn't even feature the Celine Dion song but it makes it seem like an action movie right yeah it's completely different from the vibe of the actual film no I was telling you I I distinctly remember from the trailers the Billy Zane firing a gun yeah several times in the trailer (laughs) I don't know that always jumped out to me probably because it just felt weird. You're like, well, what is happening here? Yeah. Like, what possibly happens that all of a sudden there's gunplay involved? <laughs> <laughs> Any potential doubts, though, were proven to be over-exaggerated because the box office accumulated from several re-releases has come to $2.202 billion. Ah, okay. At the time, it was the highest grossing film ever after its first initial release which i think was 1.84 billion it's since been passed by both avatar and at least one of the avengers movies if not two but as i said in terms of ticket sales this is still far and away right the biggest it wasn't just a financial success it was critically acclaimed as well and it was nominated for a record 14 nominations tying it with all about eve at the Academy Awards, and it won 11 Oscars, which tied it with Ben-Hur for most wins. The ones that it did not win, Best Makeup, Best Supporting Actress for Gloria Stewart, and Best Actress for Kate Winslet. It did win Best Score, James Horner, Best Song, My Heart Will Go On, Uh Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, Best Cinematography, Hmm. Best Visual Effects, For sure. Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Film Editing, Best Sound, Best Costume Design, Best Director for James Cameron, and Best Picture. That's a clean sweep. (laughs) No, a clean sweep would have been 14 (laughs) of 14. It didn't win all 14. All right. Clean sweep of important awards, I should say. We talk about the Oscars a lot on this show, and it, it gets repetitive and redundant. I know probably some people are sick of it, but it does harken back to a different time, (laughs) doesn't it? just cannot get over it. Just get past it. No, it's not even. I'm not yeah, even criticizing or even waxing nostalgic, other than just to say it was different. They don't have yeah. movies that win this many now. It's way more split up and democratic. Even the ones that win for sure, Best Picture aren't winning eleven. That's crazy. Well, we don't really have like these pinnacle movies either that everyone is engrossed with this thing. 
I do think that his acceptance speech where he declared himself king of the world, which is definitely like a fuck you to the people that didn't believe in him and all the press coverage, which we'll talk about oh, yeah. in a minute. I do think that that prevented him from winning for Avatar. I think that probably factored into some of the votes. Okay. Because Hurt Locker winning in 09 was a pretty big surprise, I, I feel like. I think everyone thought Avatar might win and win everything, and it didn't. That's the way I felt going into it that year, because it was just a massive movie, again. And obviously they don't release the vote totals, but I'd be curious to see how close it was, and you factor in like well, how many people were still annoyed with him for that speech he gave. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He kind of just seemed like an out-of-touch geek to me. No, I definitely think it was because it had been like several years worth of bashing. Okay, yeah. Like, this guy's a clown. This is going to be such a disaster. Right. This is a mess. It was a little bit of a FU back to everyone. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, a lot of the people he was giving an FU to had just voted for him, obviously, because yeah. <laughs> he won. Right. I found this on Wikipedia, and I was reading it, and I... I was like, oh, man, this sounds just like a positive review of the film. Quote, the story could not have been written better. The juxtaposition of rich and poor, the gender roles played out unto death, women first, the stoicism and nobility of a bygone age, the magnificence of the great ship matched in scale only by the folly of the men who drove her hell-bent through the darkness, and above all, the lesson that life is uncertain, the future unknowable the unthinkable possible and i was like oh this must be from a critic who really liked the movie then it says <laughs> james cameron said this and i was like he's saying this about his own movie and then i realized he was just saying it about titanic okay. like the actual real story oh yeah but yeah. i was cracking up i was like jesus christ <laughs> that's hilarious one of the things that we're going to gloss over is all of the technical stuff the production stuff and i think it just suffice to say that Titanic ends up turning into a towering achievement of a bunch of different elements that Cameron combines together to make a very believable-looking interpretation of a giant ship sinking in the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, it's insane. And he's insane. His attention to detail is insane, and we'll talk about that more in a second, but the level of commitment to making sure every single thing is exactly how it was down to every minor detail is mind-boggling and I think also contributes to why Cameron is very difficult to work with and a pain. It is interesting, too, having this guy who I think has had a pretty successful film career uh, financially. (laughs) Pretty successful. Yeah, there's this big portrayal of like the classes and it kind of feels like the rich people are the bad guys in this movie. Like There's something... (laughs) The well, poor... yeah, but if you get rich from making art, you never see yourself as right. one of the rich people. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not one of the bad guys. <laughs> no. So the big things that they took here and make this film unique is they use real footage of the Titanic wreck as if they were documentary filmmakers yes. going down there, which costs a lot, more than it would be probably to fake it, but Cameron thought it would be worth it to get real footage to really ground it. And I do think that as you age, the wraparound story Uh with Bill Paxton and Gloria Stewart and the whole thing makes more sense when you're older and you're confronted with your own mortality. I think like the way it hits me now in my late thirties is different than it was when I was 14 and it would be different 20 years from now. It is cool. And I do think it adds something to the movie. I can totally understand from the studio's perspective 
I would be like, do we need this? <laughs> do you need to like? Well, once they've shot it, they were using yeah, it. Right. It wasn't cheap to go down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it shouldn't work. Right. It should be a mess. You don't even get into the DiCaprio Winslet story it's until you're at least 25 20 minutes, minutes in. in. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I noticed that. Like, I'm like, this always seems longer than I expect it to be. And then the first time I ever saw it, I was like, what is this? <laughs> I was like, did I put the right movie on? It almost seems like you're watching like a making of or something. And then you're like, right. wait, Bill Paxton. <laughs> in addition to that, in order to recreate the Titanic itself, they use scale modeling as one of the the means in addition to the big sets and everything and there was an insane attention to detail including right down to the little screws things that you wouldn't even want to see on screen they had to use the right screws everything was right in fact towards the end of the film when all hell is broken loose and rose is in the water looking up at the sky in the original cut of the film the stars were wrong oh wow and someone noticed it an astronomer pointed it out and Cameron went back and fixed it (laughs) To get the stars right. The, the stars that you would see from that perspective at that time of the year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It, it, was, it bothered him. It was like, instead of being like, who cares? He's like, oh, I'll fix it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is nuts. And, of course, in addition to all those things, the early days of CGI, I wouldn't say that the CGI is as revolutionary feeling as it is in Jurassic Park. But right. among the it's 90s close. stuff, it holds up. Yeah. You I go mean- back and you watch... Alien Resurrection, like oh, the sure. fourth yeah. Alien, and you're like, holy God. It's how did closer to Jurassic Park good? than Alien Resurrection. Yeah, I would say it mostly looks great. Yeah, there's a couple parts where the boat kind of looks like a, I don't know, a video game or something. Yeah, there's there's a few noticeable shots, yeah. but by but the 90s it standard, it's, it's pretty yeah. great. And I'm pretty sure that that's what we're going to be expecting from Avatar 2. It's something that we've never seen before. I, I would believe that, yes. In terms of visual effects. I'm guessing well, that that's was, what the holdup is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was one of the high points of the first Avatar. As we've alluded to, part of the story of this film is the troubled production. The media coverage was a bunch of jackals oh, yeah. sharpening their teeth. Wanting failure. Reports coming out of set, way over budget, way over time. Disaster. Heaven's Gate Part 2. Everyone's expecting impending doom that this is just going to be a huge albatross for for the studios to deal with. How are they going to make this kind of money back? It was the most expensive film ever made to that point. And on set, it was difficult conditions, hell on the actors. James Cameron has developed a reputation for being demanding and hard to work with. Even Kate Winslet came out of this saying she was never going to work with Cameron again. A lot has changed in the Sure. 25 years since, because now she's going to be in Avatar uh-huh. 2, The Way of the Water. Uh, well, I mean, 25 years is a long time. Yeah. You know. But the actors were dealing with sickness, getting colds, being in water all the time, kidney infections, etc. Kate Winslet was scared that she was going to drown at several points. I think DiCaprio has said that he was never afraid on set, but when you're dealing with water, I think that different people's anxiety can play out in different ways. Yeah. No Cliff Booth there to bail him out. As an illustration of how the cast and crew and some people would feel about Cameron, I found this to be kind of wild. All right. During the academic Mrs. Slav Keldash shoot in Canada, an angry crew member put the dissociative drug PCP into the soup that Cameron and various others ate one night oh in Dartmouth, gosh. Nova Scotia. It sent more than 50 people to the hospital, including Paxton, Bill Paxton. What is this, Gaspar Nose Climax? There were 
people just rolling around completely out of it. Some of them said they were seeing streaks and psychedelics, said actor Louis Abernathy. Cameron managed to vomit before the drug took a full hold. <laughs> Abernathy was shocked at the way he looked. One eye was completely red, like the Terminator eye. A pupil, no iris, beat red. Like the Terminator eye? <laughs> the other eye looked like he'd been sniffing glue since he was four. The person behind the poisoning was never caught. <laughs> wow. Kate Winslet. <laughs> well, she wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't have been on that ship with Bill Paxton. It was Paxton, his old friend. <laughs> Even though he was in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> sacrificed himself but everything worked out obviously we've we've covered it that's box wild. office records 11 oscars mostly positive reviews it holds an 87 percent on rotten tomatoes however there was some pushback and of course backlash which is completely understandable when a movie is this huge and this pervasive in the culture the most criticized element of course is the dialogue which i think still holds true today yeah avatar also took a beating for that the dialogue sometimes between Jack and Rose is a little cringe. Not always the most believable. It's not even it's weird because it's not even the most dramatic moments. It's when it's when they're trying to be playful. Yeah, I know. That's the part where it's you're hard just to buy. Like, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> In retrospect, it's a very divisive film amongst certain audiences despite its overwhelming success. I know for example, Robert Altman hated it. Some other people would were on the record not liking it. But when you talk about Cameron's speech at the Academy Awards and acting like that, you can kind of get it. You can kind of get where it's coming from because yeah. within the industry, he's giving them a fuck you. But the problem is, if he was only coming off as a douche to his peers in the industry or even the people that write about film, then that's one thing. But he kind of came off as a douche to everybody watching right. at home. To yeah. the people that buy tickets. It just I mean, kind of was a bad look. You get it. First of all, you're already dealing with the studio on this, who I'm sure thinks you're making a lot of bad moves. And then all this stuff with the press that basically it seems like they're rooting for a failure here. Yeah. You get it. It's a different time in the sense that if that was happening today, there's a 0% chance that that film was, would succeed. Right. Yeah. I don't think they're going to make that mistake anymore. I think they know when something's truly a disaster. So if you started hearing some movie is a giant disaster, it's probably not going to succeed to the level of right. Titanic. Yeah, yeah. But James Cameron's always been his own unique animal. He's always betting on himself. I don't think anyone expected Avatar, which cost more than Titanic 12 right. years later, yeah. to become what it became. And that's why, even though I wasn't like a huge Avatar fan or anything, I wouldn't bet against him. I'm assuming Avatar 2 is going to be a massive success. It There's feels no like way it has it to be. be, even though I really struggle to find someone who has that much great to say about Avatar or even feel like it's lived on. But I know that it has because there's interest. I don't know. It, you just feel like you know it's going to be a big hit and will probably be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I would agree with that. I do think that the idea of committing to the four sequels right out of the gate it seems... A little nuts, uh huh. But who knows how that? Especially all play uh, out. if if each one of them took as long to make <laughs> as this one. Well, no, I think he's been working on all of them. Yeah, simultaneously. Supposedly, that actually ties in with something I don't even have in my notes, but it's worth talking about, which is James Cameron pre Titanic is this great, exciting director, sort of a precursor to a Christopher Nolan in kind of the same universe as a Spielberg. Doesn't necessarily have that same 
I want to say nostalgia as a Spielberg, but also yeah. the sentimentality of a Spielberg. But True. it's sort of the same world. I think it. of his strengths being more on the technical side. And so you're thinking, did we get enough out of his career? I know, it is Selfishly? Weird. Yeah. He dedicated so much of his life, even post-1997, to the Titanic. Yeah. Constantly going down there and making shows or movies. I don't even know what he was doing with all that stuff. It yeah. seemed like a lot was spent with the Titanic shipwreck. There's this whole other like film that he released that's that stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. And then now with what's going to turn into probably two decades dedicated to Avatar stuff, it just seems like there probably could have been a couple of other James Cameron movies somewhere along the way. Yeah, you do feel that way. But I guess if you're not passionate about it and you're passionate about other stuff, then I wouldn't want something half-assed that he don't really he doesn't really care about. So yeah. it's not I, like he anyone was forcing him to do this. I'm guessing spending this much time caring about using the right screws, it's probably exhausting. <laughs> you know, to be that dedicated to a project. Titanic is a mix of fictional characters and actual historical figures. We're not going to run through all of them, but here are some of the highlights. Real people. Kathy Bates as Margaret Molly Brown, the unsinkable Molly Brown, as she would later become known as. One of the great characters in the movie, I think. She's vulgar, but also rich. New money, as she's called. Yeah, yeah. She is a real-life person. Victor Garber as Thomas Andrews. The ship's builder, he ends up not being cocky or arrogant and is one of the first people to realize the truth of what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And is pointed out, basically. Accepting of it yeah. rather than denying it. Bernard Hill as Captain Edward John Smith, the captain of the ship, famously goes down with the ship. Jonathan Hyde as J. Bruce Ismay, one of the villains of the film, really. White Starline's ignorant, boorish managing director who pushes the ship to go faster and then can't accept reality. Yeah, really just a douche. At the end and then cowardly saves his own life. That's right. We'll talk about that more when it happens, but he <laughs> it's not like he escaped without anyone knowing no. what a coward he was. <laughs> <laughs> the highlights among the fictional characters, DiCaprio, Leonardo, you know him. Oh, sure. Jack Dawson. Heartthrob. Jack is portrayed... As a poor orphan from Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, who has traveled the world, including Paris, he wins two third-class tickets for the Titanic in a poker game and travels with his friend Fabrizio. I'll just tell you right now, Fabrizio not factoring a lot into my notes. <laughs> well, he doesn't have much of a trajectory. He just starts off as the friend and then kind of fades from the narrative. Jack is attracted to Rose at first sight. Her fiancé's invitation to dine with them the next evening enables Jack to mix with first-class passengers for a night. Some other actors who were in consideration for the part, Matthew McConaughey, Chris O'Donnell, Billy Crudup. Man, Chris O'Donnell. Talk about a guy that came and went. Yeah. Stephen Dorff. Can you imagine this movie with Stephen (laughs) Dorff? I wish it was Stephen Dorff and then Britney Spears was in the Kate Winslet role. If this movie starred Steven Dorf, it would have been the disaster everyone was expecting it to be. This would have just died. <laughs> yeah, you definitely feel like Leo was drawing a ton of interest. Jared Leto supposedly refused to audition. Wow. 
He was like, offer only, please. <laughs> Jeremy Sisto also in the mix. Yeah. At one point, I was seeing Tom Cruise mentioned, but his asking price was too high. And I was thinking, well, at this point, Tom Cruise was already like 35 years right. old. I think that that would have been a little weird. Jack is mostly known for his absurd purity. He almost never yeah. gets anything wrong in the movie. He's just this pure light. Right. You would think that he would be more hardened. There would be more darkness here based on his life. The how, one-legged prostitute. How is this all working out? Yeah, I, it just feels like they pointed out in the movie. How is it a man with your means is like traveling the world? It, it does just bumming around. Yeah, <laughs> it does seem like there would be some challenges there. Kate Winslet as Rose DeWitt Bucater. Rose is a 17-year-old girl originally from Philadelphia who was forced into an engagement to 30-year-old Cal Hockley so she and her mother Ruth hmm. can maintain their high-class status after her father's death I will had say, left the family debt-ridden. They don't reveal that until you're pretty far into the story. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's kind of a nice reveal. You're like, okay, this is a, a wrinkle now. I don't it, even know if they have to, though, because yeah. that's just how society was. True. Especially the upper-class society a domineering mother it's like yeah. you're doing what you're told well that's true either way but that that's a lot yeah there's added pressure to carry especially when she's like do you want to see me become a seamstress how is it going to feel when you see them just like auctioning off all our stuff i'm like man that is brutal some other actresses that were in consideration gwyneth paltrow winona Ryder, claire danes whoa which i doubt they would have done yeah, yeah. after romeo and juliet gabriel anwar and reese witherspoon but huh. Winslet campaigned very hard for the role. Oh, wow. Re- very hard. And it's sort of a reminder of how cringe actors can be when you see some of these stories. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> She's sending James Cameron a rose that says, like, from your rose before she has the part. Oh, stuff. wow. Just calling him all the time, begging. <laughs> but when it works out, yeah. you're like, okay, well, this is the role of a lifetime. This puts her on a whole other level in America as an actress. In a lot of ways, the defining part of her life. Yeah. So you get it. It ends up being worth it. But when you read the stories, oof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cameron was looking for Jack to sort of represent a James Stewart kind of a vibe and Rose like Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. That's what he was going for. Billy Zane as Cal Hockley. Just a legendary actor. Caledon Hockley is Rose's arrogant and snobbish 30-year-old fiance. Yep who is the heir to a Pittsburgh steel fortune. Oh, how about that? He becomes increasingly embarrassed by and jealous of and also cruel about Rose's affection for Jack. Dynamite casting here. The part was originally offered to Matthew McConaughey, and Rob Lowe has also gone on the record as having pursued it. How many tickets do you think Billy Zane's name sold? Uh, Zero. Zero tickets sold. They actually asked... Billy Zane's family, and they were like, well, we were probably going to see it Okay. way. <laughs> so, <laughs> not even one. <laughs> Although featured prominently in the trailer. Yeah. Billy Zane has one of the most fascinating careers ever I'd in the sense so. that he is in one of the biggest films of all time. Right. And almost everything else seems like a goof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just forgettable. Him popping up as himself in Zoolander, which was only like four years later, felt like such a goof on him. Yeah. Not really a lot of the side people capitalizing on being in this giant movie. 
Leo and Kate Winslet, of course, just going on to become icons, but... Well, Victor Garber's had a long career. I, yeah, I, I don't mean, know Kathy that, Bates. Well, Kathy Bates is already established. Yeah, yeah. I think that other than Zane, there really wouldn't be anyone else, though. That could, yeah. It, it's not really that type of movie. Right. Frances Fisher as Rose's widowed mother, Gloria Stewart as Old Rose in the present day. Might as well finish our thoughts on the significance of the frame story. As you said, it catches you off guard, especially if you're not expecting it. You don't know what you're looking at. You think that this is all going to be set in 1912. It almost feels like another Cameron movie, The Abyss or something at the beginning. Right. Or Did they actually accidentally put The Abyss on the reel? Possibly even Aliens because of Bill Paxton. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, what am I looking at here? You're taking what is already a long movie and you're tacking on what probably amounts to almost a half hour of screen time to this. Bill Paxton rocking like an earring. Just a wild look. (laughs) I would say that when I was 14, I probably didn't really get it, and now I do get it. And the weight of those 84 years that Rose references, you, you sort of understand it, and it connects you to what happens in 1912 in a way that you don't get with just showing the 1912 stuff. Because... In 1997, there were people who were alive from Titanic. Hard to believe. That were still alive yeah. in 97. Well, I Not guess in was 2022, like right. but yeah. back then, it would still be possible. And they're portraying her as supposed to be 101 or whatever That's she is. That's sort of hard to buy, but 101 with how with it she still is. It's hard to buy, but it's possible. It is possible. I guess you could interpret the film as she's just making it all up, but yeah. then she does have the necklace, though. That is true. <laughs> There are some moments in this where I'm thinking, if I was Rose's granddaughter, would I be humoring this even for a minute? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like, there's stuff that is like so unforgettable to me in this movie that when I see it again, it's exactly how I remember it. But the whole thing with her having the ne- necklace at the end is just, it's like new to me again. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, the necklace. Oh, I remember every part. There are some shots in this film that are just etched in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Having the perspective change to Rose's perspective, like right when a door's being opened right. for her yeah. a couple times in uh-huh. the film. It's just very memorable. And he does it a couple of times. Obviously, the stuff, the party and steerage. Absolutely. The spinning camera thing. And right. everything is just etched in my brain. Oh, yeah. And it's a movie that, like I said, I don't think I watched on VHS. So you're talking a pretty big gap from seeing it in the theater. And then I think I saw it on. It's very formative. Premium cable. Uh huh. Maybe eight years later, something like that. Well, it's an endeavor to watch it. Yeah. You got to be committed. I'm wondering if I saw it twice in the theater. It is possible. It is possible. Because for some reason, I just know that I've watched it a bunch of times, but I don't remember when. I have to tell you, I can't remember the last time I watched it before watching it for this episode. But yeah, I mean, to your point, so many scenes, nothing has changed in my mind it's exactly as i remember it well not to step on the rewatchables gimmick but it really is one of those movies where if it's on tv or something and you just catch it yeah like i've definitely caught For segments sure. of right. it over the years plenty of times and then you have bill paxton as brock levette who is the guy pursuing this diamond this mystery at the center of the film that ultimately doesn't mean much to anyone including the yeah. viewer because no one really cares about the diamond exactly by the end of the film but it is a good hook. It's a good connection to the original story. Some life this guy's living, huh? Just some treasure hunter funded by I rich don't know. people. Yeah. Zero percent chance Titanic is rated PG thirteen. 
in 2022. It was shocking then. I mean, it really caused a lot of chatter then. I think people were like, how can this be? At first, I was thinking that must be Cameron's power and influence, but Cameron was never really like a Spielberg in that sense. And I think it was the studios influencing the MPAA because they knew if this was rated R. Yeah, yeah. Way less tickets sold. Yeah. They could not take that chance. They needed this to be PG-13, and it gets away with a lot. I'm surprised for the stories that you hear with the MPAA and everything that... I don't know. I don't know if there was fights about things, but it just seems well, shocking that this got it's through. It's way more strict now. Yeah. There was definitely a change at some point. The chances of you getting nudity in a PG-13 film now are almost zero. But even if you took out the nudity and you took out fuck which i think they say twice maybe Uh uh-huh maybe this is still going to be rated r today there's no way you're depicting real life oh yeah i mean the violence it's pretty rough to yeah i don't even know if i would call it well whatever the disaster peril yeah yeah the real life death right especially you see like a frozen baby at one point at the end pretty grim i think they would say it was too scary especially when you hear the people crying about the violence in the new Doctor Strange movie or something now, which is PG-13. Yeah, which how people basically can't handle seems like anything. A, it seems like it would be like a cartoon, basically. I don't know. Me neither. But it squeaked in under the wire, and I was able to see it in the theater when I was 14. So let's get into it. <laughs> a lot to say. Yeah. About Titanic, the story itself. I definitely enjoyed revisiting it. It had been a while for me, and I don't know how many times we can keep saying the same sentences, but... You're just not seeing anything like this now. No, and so you're, you're transported to a simpler time in life. Yeah, yeah. Not only was I younger, but films felt different back then and more important and, and big. The way that people reacted to pop culture was different. In 1996, aboard the research vessel, academic Ms. Tisloff, Keldesh, Brock Levitt, and his team searched the wreck of RMS Titanic Brock is basically a well-funded treasure hunter. The team recovers a safe from the chambers of one Cal Hockley that they hope contains a necklace with a large diamond known as the heart of the ocean. And we'll talk more about the diamond way later in this. But even this opening, as jarring and confusing as it may seem, is a cool way to introduce us to the reality of what happened with Titanic. It really hits home uh-huh. that you're looking at this wreckage that's just in the middle of the ocean. Well, even like when the, the one dude that wears the Watchmen shirt goes through the whole quick video, whatever, like the recreation of it, Yeah, where they show that, he's sort of callous about it. <laughs> yeah, this giant ship went down, split in like a matter of hours and well, you yeah, know, and I think in that several people's deaths. that's explained or at least addressed in Paxson's dialogue at the end of the film about how he never really got it before. He never let right. it in. It yeah. was just a cold scientific yeah, approach. Yeah, right. And Rose humanizes the story. And this was really the last chance of that happening. You weren't going to have anyone old enough to have memories surviving much longer than 1997. And so... It's the right time for this movie, and it, like I said, the the frame story really yeah ties you in with with what you're seeing throughout the rest of the film. The last person that experiences something being gone, there's something so final to that, and then it does really just become a footnote or whatever, just something that happened. In addition to being super expensive, it's also really dangerous. 
to film this actual Titanic footage. When you take those vessels down there, one little imperfection or, or something's wrong and you're dead instantly, which they do sort of mention in the movie. Yeah, not for me. This would not be a, a lifestyle choice for me. The water pressure, it's instant death if something's wrong. Instead, the team discovers only a drawing of a young nude woman wearing the necklace. The sketch is dated April 14th, 1912, the same day the Titanic struck the iceberg that caused it to sink. The boat eventually did sink in the early morning hours of April 15th, so technically it didn't actually sink until the next day. But it's quite a moment to find that as the date on this drawing. Sure. An elderly woman watching television coverage and an interview with Lovett recognizes herself as the woman in the drawing. Her name is Rose Dawson Calvert, and she gets in contact with Lovett. If I was Rose's granddaughter, I'd, I think I'd just be like, okay, Grandma, let's get you to bed. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, really. Never mentions a word of this to anyone, and yeah, then all of a sudden is making these wild claims. I think, yeah, it would probably be like, well, we got to take you to get checked out. I'm thinking maybe dementia or Alzheimer's at play here. I guess she was lucid enough that her granddaughter just believes it. I don't know how she proves it to her, but she ends up on the phone with Love It. She says the right things. Since a lot of this is fictional, you can kind of just set it up the way that you want. Yeah, just and go so with no it. one knows about this fucking diamond. And so she her mentioning it to Love It is enough to get him to believe her. But how does he know about it? I know. <laughs> if no one knows about right. it, how does he know about it? I don't know. Some of that stuff is a little yeah. whatever. But fine. She knows enough information to talk her way into a trip to this boat out in the middle of nowhere in the Which ocean. she uh, packs lightly for. <laughs> well, you could make the argument that she knew this was the, the yeah. last run. That's for right, her. yeah. Rose is brought aboard Keldesh and recounts her experiences aboard Titanic to the team. Besides Love It, there is some initial skepticism amongst some of the other people of his team, but she's able to keep hitting everything that she should know if she was telling the truth. Because when Love It is recounting the history of this diamond, he doesn't say the name of the family that would have bought it, and then she says, I expect it would be someone named Hockley, and he's like, bingo. She knows what she's talking about. She wouldn't just know this stuff. What other 101-year-old woman would just know these yeah, details? Yeah. Oh. I'm taking her to rest. No. Come on, Nana. No! Tell us, Rose. It's been 84 years. It's okay. Just try to remember anything. Anything at all. Do you want to hear this or not, Mr. Lovett? It's been 84 years, and I can still smell the fresh paint. The china had never been used. The sheets had never been slept in. Titanic was called the ship of dreams, and it was, it really was. I just wrote in my notes, already sobbing. I don't even remember what uh, what would have been. <laughs> already sobbing. I don't even I don't get know. to the old story yet. I'm like fucking losing it. <laughs> I need to get to the boat at least. Yeah. Well, I think that 
I hide it pretty well yeah. on this podcast, but I think that our listeners need to know what a delicate flower I am when no, it comes yeah. to shit like this. We know, yeah. <laughs> Commercials, I'm crying at this point. Anything. <laughs> Commercials. Anything yeah, in my real true. life, no. Never. <laughs> Never once. Just this stuff something, can't handle it. Something with drama in it, yeah. <laughs> so we flash back to 1912 as Rose tells this story, and immediately we're swept up in the majesty, and Titanic as a film is a true epic. For sure. In the tradition of Dr. Zhivago or Lawrence of Arabia or whatever. It is a true sweeping epic, a three-hour-plus tale and Titanic itself is the ship of dreams, as Rose calls it. And right away, we're confronted with 17-year-old Rose, inward versus outward. Outward, she's this proper lady engaged yeah. to be married in proper society. But inwardly, she's screaming and begging to be set free. That's right. Wants to cut loose a little bit. Rose and her wealthy fiancé, 30-year-old Cal Hockley, in addition to Rose's widowed mother, Ruth, board the Titanic Though she is unhappy with the arrangement and her life overall, it is eventually emphasized to Rose by her mother that the marriage to Cal will resolve the family's financial problems and maintain their tenuous first-class status. Meanwhile, Jack Dawson, a poor young artist, wins a third-class Titanic ticket in a poker game. Yeah, lucky him. Luck on his side, just seems. Well... This was something I thought a lot about as a kid, seeing this movie for the first time. Is it lucky? I don't know. It's one of those things that really like haunted me as a kid. That, That's true, that, yeah. A game of chance that feels lucky at first, but ultimately, he would have been much better off not winning this. He claims as he's dying later, spoiler alert, that it was worth it, that yeah, he yeah. was lucky. but Well, he was just saying that to make Rose feel better. <laughs> When she refused yeah. to let him onto that piece of wood. Rose, by the way, in like one of these stages, when we were in high school and college, she would have just been one of those girls that like came in the next day, completely different style, like emo haircut. <laughs> what do you mean after meeting Jack? No, no, I just, yeah, like in this stage that she's in, like she's going for a new attitude. Yeah, and it was a lot harder back then. Titanic is not very subtle when it comes to its messages on two main subjects class and gender. Correct. The class stuff we're confronted with over and over again. The gender situation is personified through Rose and her inability to break out of her life and the future, which has been predetermined for her by others, that she can't escape. The class thing almost seems like the primary theme of the movie, how much it's yes, covered. Yes, for sure. And one of the absurd things is their accommodations, the wealthy on this boat. Oh, yeah. It is wild, the rooms on this boat. Obviously, we see this kind of through Jack's perspective the night that he goes to dinner with them. But even these dudes, having like the separate room to drink brandy and smoke cigars in. Yeah. like It's just so over-the-top, exquisite luxury. Well, you have to remember that had the ship not sunk, you're really talking about about a week. Right. But they're packing as if they're going to be on this boat for a month. They're bringing all of these paintings. Right, right. Like Rose's collection of paintings. He's got like Picasso's Her self and portraits too. Billy Zane with the nice little Picasso joke. Never going to amount to anything. Right. As soon as Jack and his buddy Fabrizio are on the boat, he's running up to the front yelling, I'm the king of the world, standing out over the edge. Just a complete ass. 
I would you can't just, take these people anywhere. I would just start throwing stuff at him. It's like, go back below deck. She is the largest moving object ever made by the hand of man in all history. And our master shipbuilder, Mr. Andrews here, designed her from the keel plates up. Well, I may have knocked her together, but my dear was Mr. Ismay's. He envisioned a steamer so grand in scale and so luxurious in its appointments that its supremacy would never be challenged. And here she is. Willed into solid reality. You know I don't like that rose. She knows. We'll both have the lamb. Rare with very little mint sauce, eh? You like lamb, right, sweet pea? Sausage. Yes, you gonna cut her meat for her too there, Cal? <laughs> hey, uh, who thought of the name Titanic? Was it you, Bruce? Well, yes, actually. <laughs> I wanted to convey sheer size, and size means stability, luxury, and above all, strength. Do you know of Dr. Freud, Mr. Ismay? His ideas about the male preoccupation with size might be of particular interest to you. I do apologize. She's a pistol, Cal. Hope you can handle her. Well, I may have to start minding what she reads from now on, won't I, Mrs. Brown? Freud, who is he? Is he a passenger? Things change pretty quickly for Jack, though, when Fabricio and the other guys that they meet from Ireland and wherever, they all sort of fade to the background when he sees Rose for the first time. And it is very much a moment where Hart alone starts playing absolutely yeah just looks up and he knows even though everyone's like the one forget it dude. yeah you and him had that moment simultaneously for him it was rose for you it was kate winslet no it took a while (laughs) it took the whole movie it was a slow burn yeah okay i think you know what scene (laughs) (laughs) i do think that part of the pitch for this movie was making it seem like romeo and juliet on titanic okay that's the elevator pitch and it is interesting that dicaprio was in romeo and juliet the year before but i don't think he was too worried about being typecast at this point because despite some of the troubled production stuff i don't think there's anyone who wouldn't have jumped at the chance to take this part Uh, james cameron's a huge director this is going to be a huge production this is a big deal it's worth the gamble because if you remember, it is sort of an American sliding doors moment. Uh-huh. He was almost in Boogie Nights right. as Dirk Diggler. And instead, he chooses to be in Titanic. And I think it worked out for the best because even though DiCaprio is a thousand times more talented than Wahlberg, Wahlberg is way more suited for Dirk Diggler yeah. than DiCaprio would have been. It all worked out. Yeah. It's exactly how it should have right. been. A short time into the journey, Rose becomes distraught over her loveless engagement and climbs over the stern railing, intending to jump overboard. Jack appears in the night and slowly manages to coax her back onto the deck. Sort of extreme, huh? <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like there's other ways out of this. Maybe not. Yeah. At least in her mind. You know, it's your typical sure. suicide meet cute. Yeah, that's <laughs> for. <laughs> All of those romantic comedies. Yeah, yeah. 
she almost slips in. She's hanging off the edge of the boat. He has to pull her back in, and it's a true near-death experience. However, her screams draw the attention oh, of I gotta others. I got to tell you, DiCaprio looking pretty scrawny in this. It feels like she would have just pulled him right over. <laughs> He's trying to pull her back up. Don't do it. Stay back. Don't come any closer. Come on. Just give me your hand. I'll pull you back over. No. Stay where you are. I mean it. I'll let go. No, you won't. What do you mean, no, I won't? Don't presume to tell me what I will and will not do. You don't know me. Well, you would have done it already. You're distracting me. Go away. I can't. I'm involved now. You let go and I'm, I'm going to have to jump in there after you. Don't be absurd. You'll be killed. I'm a good swimmer. The fall alone would kill you. It would hurt. I'm not saying it wouldn't. Tell you the truth, I'm a lot more concerned about that water being so cold. How cold? Freezing. Maybe a couple degrees over. You ever, uh, ever been to Wisconsin? They have some of the coldest winters around. I grew up there near Chippewa Falls. I remember when I was a kid, me and my father, we went ice fishing out on Lake Wissota. Ice fishing is, you know where you- I know what ice fishing is. <sighs> Sorry. You just seem like, you know, kind of an indoor girl. Anyway, I, uh, I fell through some thin ice. And I'm telling you, water that cold, like right down there, it hits you like a thousand knives stabbing you all over your body. You can't breathe, you can't think, at least not about anything but the pain. Which is why I'm not looking forward to jumping in there after you. Like I said, I don't have a choice. I'm kind of hoping you'll come back over the rail and, and get me off the hook here. You're crazy. That's what everybody says, but... With all due respect, miss, I'm not the one hanging off the back of the ship here. Come on. Come on, give me your hand. You don't want to do this. Jack Dawson. What else do we pick here? I have to get you to write that one down. <laughs> Come on.
got you. The attention brought by others leads to a misunderstanding because right people in hear the scream. lead up to him getting her back over the rail, he's saying he's going to jump in, so he's doing a whole bit with her where he's taking off his shoes and Always everything good. as if he's going to jump in after her, and then it looks like he's taking his clothes off yeah, and he's yeah. on top of her when he pulls her back over. Always good to do a, a bit in a suicide attempt. Hey, it worked. That's right. <laughs> you made we her met feel cute. like a fool. <laughs> That's how it usually works. Yeah. If you if you make the person feel like a fool, then they won't kill themselves. Yep. They would have had a great how you met story if they both made it stateside. <laughs> <laughs> However, just as he's being dragged away in front of Cal and everyone else, Rose gives an amended version of the truth where she was trying to get a better look at the propellers and slipped and he helped her rather than admit the the suicide portion of it. And so Jack's bravery earns him a dinner invitation at Cal's request, although he almost is forced into doing that. Yeah. He wasn't even going to do anything. (laughs) We get our first look at the heart of the ocean. Cal was going to save it, and he reveals it to Rose, and it's a bit much. I think so. (laughs) A bit lavish. Yeah, Obviously, there are some women out there that would love to have this and would be blown away by it, but I just can't help but think it's too much. I think it's too much, and there's really a million other things I'd rather have of value than some... Where are you going to wear this? Yeah, really. It just is not practical. Outback Steakhouse? (laughs) Like, what the fuck are you doing with this thing? Well, once she starts dating Jack, that's where they're going. Oh, yeah, right. McDonald's. McDonald's dumpster. That's the thing. I mean, look, I know everybody loves Jack and Rose, but the reality of these two kids making it to the States and trying to make this thing work, I think is a pretty good thing. Well, we can talk about that later because she obviously does something on her own. That's true. Because it doesn't seem like she ever contacts anybody that she ever knew before. it's, It's easier to make it on your own when you're poor than trying to be in a relationship when you're poor. Trust me. I know you've been melancholy. I don't pretend to know why. I intended to save this until the engagement gala next week. But I thought tonight. Good gracious. <laughs> Perhaps as a reminder of my feelings for you. Is it a diamond? Di- yes. <laughs> ah, 56 carats to be exact. It was worn by Louis XVI, and they called it Le Coeur de la Mer. The, the heart, heart of the, the ocean. ocean. Yes. <laughs> it's overwhelming. That's for royalty. We are royalty, Rose. You know, there's nothing I couldn't give you. There's nothing I'd deny you. If you would not deny me. Now open your heart to me, Rose. So then Jack spends some time with Rose on the boat. The days are long. Cal is not very attentive. And Jack resorts to some methods that I don't necessarily think are the greatest. But she is spending like a shocking amount of time away from her fiancé. Well, she hates him. Right. 
there is that. I know, and there's but no one else. I know, but you would think people are. I mean, I guess people do start talking pretty quick. People are kind of on to what's going on here. Oh yeah, everyone. Her mom sees it. for sure. But Jack is calling her the poor little rich girl, and he's sort of giving Almost her shit, sort of mocking her suicide attempt. Yeah, there is some awkwardness to their playful banter. The courtship. She discovers his sketches, many of which are nudes, which is somewhat scandalous in yeah. 1912 for like an unknown artist to be walking around with these things. Risky move on Jack's part. It just feels like there's some moments here where he could blow this thing. Because you don't know how she's going well, to react to some of this She grabs the thing stuff. out of his hands. Yeah, that's true. But don't carry it around. Come on, Jack. Did you see his room, though? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to leave it in there? <laughs> Yeah, I think <laughs> with those, those perverts, yeah. <laughs> he's gonna come back in that sketchbook. The pages are gonna be sticking together, <laughs> folks. Yikes! <laughs> Rose and Jack quickly develop a tentative friendship, which of course horrifies her mother and infuriates Cal. They talk of future dreams. He shows her how to spit. They're spitting off the edge of the boat, and then an unlikely assist from the unsinkable Molly Brown, who is able to provide Jack with the necessary attire to attend dinner with the upper class because he didn't really have anything else to wear. That's right. I would say that the big dinner scene is one of those pivotal moments where it it sort of sets everybody up on a chessboard and we know how this is all playing out. It's pretty obvious to this point, but it's going to be more than just Cal that Jack has to overcome. Oh, that's right. Sort of society at large. Yes. Because everybody's super condescending, but Jack, it just always rolls off of yeah. him, and he holds his own in the situation. Unbothered. And then immediately afterward, when the men, which yes. does not include Jack, dismiss themselves to go smoke cigars and drink brandy, he's like, all right, well, now's my chance. I'm going to take Rose down to a real party in when, steerage. When DiCaprio is doing that thing where he's sizing up the room and seeing how people act, and he's trying to like imitate the moves... I was having a little flashes of Gatsby with DiCaprio going on to play that role. What that character went through being like this poor dude who kind of was like pretending to be rich and then became that. I don't know. It just popped in my head. The party in Steerage is one of the many memorable and iconic moments of the film. It always stands out to me. I love the camera work. It's very fun and lively. They're doing a dance. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then that's spinning situation and then Cameron always does the thing where he he'll cut back and forth and you really get that comparison driven home between the stuffy nerds upstairs That's smoking right. cigars yeah. and then the good time we're the people who are here. actually having fun although I gotta tell you I like slamming those beers and then like spinning in circles would not be my idea of a good time that's true that especially on a boat immediately <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, if, if we made Zach's version of being on Titanic, it would just, just be throwing yeah, up. leaning over the side, puking for all of the days until immediately drowning. Until you were decapitated by the iceberg. <laughs> I'm hanging over that side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yep, it's good stuff. But we see that Spicer Lovejoy, played by David Warner, who is essentially Cal's manservant, is spying on the situation, and he will serve as... An informant on Rose back to Cal at all times and keeps tabs on what she's doing, which increases the divide between them and adds to the tension of the story because you feel like if Spicer wasn't in the mix that Cal would be just completely oblivious. Right. 
he wants to maintain his social status and she's not always going to be a part of that his little guy parties and stuff so if <laughs> yeah. he didn't have spicer running around telling him what was going on he probably wouldn't even know yeah well i don't know why spicer is so invested in it because his boss is being made a cuck <laughs> <laughs> and he, he goes up and says that to he's, him. he's somehow like, offended by that he's like you're making an, an embarrassment out of us i'm the manservant of a cuck <laughs> <laughs> The next morning, there's a very tense breakfast between Rose and Cal. Oh, yeah. This is a domestic event. <laughs> Good Lord. Domestic it's scary. I had hoped you would come to me last night. I was tired. Your exertions below decks were no doubt exhausting. I see you had that undertaker of a manservant follow me. How typical. You will never behave like that again, Rose. Do you understand? I'm not a foreman in one of your mills that you can command. I'm your fiancé. Fiancé? My fiancé! Yes, you are! And my My wife in practice, if not yet by law, so you will honor me. (laughs) You will honor me the way a wife is required to honor a husband. Because I will not be made out of fool, Rose. Is this in any way unclear? No. Good. Excuse me. say cal not a great guy and rose's mother ruth strongly disapprove and are not naive they know what's going on yeah yeah and so yes this is a little ike turner moment right (laughs) a little glimpse into your future fiance my (laughs) throwing everything off the table i love my notes that i put in here they're always hilarious to me when i'm trying to figure out what they're saying roadblocks are now in place this is not going to be smooth sailing. And I drew a smiley face at that joke. <laughs> smooth sailing. Oh, boy. Just having a time over here in your life. <laughs> really enjoying Folks, yourself. Folks, smooth yeah. sailing. Get it? But in the aftermath of this incident, Rose essentially does give in temporarily. And she tries to discourage Jack you get it. I from mean, pursuing. This pathetic display from her mom. It's the guilt trip of the cinch. Yeah. She's got the weight of her family's problems on her shoulders, plus she's probably panicking a little bit because there is that fear of the uncertainty. If you really want to go full tilt and commit to fucking up everything you got going on, even if you really want to do it, it can be overwhelming and scary because she doesn't know what the future would be once they get to America. What is she going to do? Go off with this guy who's essentially a bum? Right. (laughs) That's when he grabs her and he pulls her into that room, Jack does, and he's calling her a spoiled little brat. I know, and this is another one of those moments where I'm like, dude, I feel like you're really risking it here, but I don't know. She's into it. She knows it's true. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I am a brat. There is some moments where you're like, yeah, I I get it. I get why the dialogue was critiqued the hardest, and that scene is a little much. I'm like, okay. It doesn't feel natural. It is Rose while walking with... 
Andrew is the shipbuilder who points out the lack of enough lifeboats to accommodate all of the passengers on board. Uh-huh. Where I love Cal is such oh, a horse's ass. One, because, this is my favorite line of his in this scene. Where he's like, the get better a, half. He's like, they should get rid of all of them. It's cluttering up the deck. What does he say? Yeah. But then also, like, oh, yeah, yeah, only, the better <laughs> We only have enough boats for half the people. The better half. Yeah, that's just <laughs> dynamite. Ridiculously evil. But even before they aboard the ship, he's like, this ship cannot be sunk. Even God himself could not sink this yeah. ship. <laughs> just like, who's he talking to? Just yelling out into the crowd. Yeah. I wouldn't even be like one of the poor people down at the party we saw. I'd be like one of the workers down in the fucking coal room or wherever they are. Just like <laughs> coal room. being burned alive. <laughs> They're throwing you in to yeah. keep the ship going. The, yeah. They want us to go faster. <laughs> However, it doesn't take long at all for Rose to realize how much her life sucks and will continue to suck. Yeah. So she goes and finds Jack, who's back at the front of the boat. In terms of actual movie screen time in a three-hour and 17-minute movie, it takes Rose about 30 seconds to come back to Jack. That's true. She's like, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. We're done. 30-second scene of her sitting with her mom. This stinks. It's honestly like Christopher in The Sopranos when he's about to turn informant, and he sees that family... With the kids screaming, and he's yeah. like, I'm not going to be in the cool life anymore. Yeah. And he just turns on Adriana. <laughs> spoiler, just a random soprano spoiler <laughs> thrown in the middle of this. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, right. She just looks over at that little girl whose mom's bitching at her and telling her to sit up straight and do this and do that. That's and, right. And she's like, oh my god, this is my whole life. Yeah, you know what? Jack seems kind of fun. So with the score swelling and you have that orangey sunset glow, they share a kiss at the front of the boat where the King of the World situation happened That's earlier. That's right, and yeah. And will happen again. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have a romance. That's right. Romance confirmed 1,000% <laughs> romance of the millennium. We thought it was coming, and boy did it. And this is the perfect time to check in with Modern Day Rose, and she tells us that was the last time Titanic ever saw daylight. And... If you're sitting in a theater in the days before everyone had cell phones, maybe you didn't have a watch, you're thinking, wait a minute, this movie's, how long is this movie? I thought it was three hours. It can't be that deep into it. Yeah. And then you realize like a huge chunk of this movie is basically that last night. The boat sinking, really. Yeah. It's almost, I don't know if it's time accurate or not, but it seems pretty close to what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. The captain is given an iceberg warning. He ignores it. Because of Ismay's insistence from the White Star Line, they're increasing speed. Wanting to get some headlines. They even have Paxton and his little buddy in the team in the modern day sort of lamenting the captain making these mistakes and not understanding what was going on. (laughs) It's quite proper, I assure you. This is the sitting room. Will this light do? What? Don't artists need good light? That is true, but I'm not used to working in such horrible conditions. <laughs> Monet. Do you know his work? Of course. Look at his use of color here. Isn't he great? I know. It's extraordinary. Cal insists on carting this hideous thing everywhere. Should we be expecting many times soon? 
Not as long as the cigars and brandy hold out. That's nice. What is it, a sapphire? A diamond. A very rare diamond. Jack, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. Wearing this. All right. Wearing only this. thing I need is another picture of me looking like a porcelain doll. As a paying customer, I expect to get what I want. Rose brings Jack to her stateroom and pays him a coin to sketch her nude, wearing only the heart of the ocean necklace. And I'll say this, pretty great second date. Yeah. <laughs> like, holy shit. Especially in 1912. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. <laughs> the only thing I was thinking was, it must be nice to be young and attractive and just have confidence. Yeah, I wish I ever knew what that was like. We literally met yesterday, and I'm not just having sex with you, because sex you can kind of do in the dark and in light well enough for you to see my body. That's I'm just right. going to lay here nude yeah. for you to look at. <laughs> Not a life I'm familiar with. And there's a lot of extreme confidence that Cal is not coming back during this time. I, I, I know. I, that's all I would be thinking. <laughs> he seems like kind of a scary dude. Kind of a loose cannon, maybe. James Cameron sketched Jack's nude portrait of Rose for a scene which he feels has the backdrop of repression. Quote, you know what it means for her, the freedom she must be feeling. It's kind of exhilarating for that reason, he said. The nude scene was DiCaprio and Winslet's first scene together. It wasn't by any kind of design, although I couldn't have designed it better, Cameron says. Quote, there's a nervousness and an energy and a hesitance in them, Cameron stated. They had rehearsed together, but they hadn't shot anything together. If I'd had a choice, I probably would have preferred to put it deeper into the body of the shoot. Cameron said he and his crew were just trying to find things to shoot because the big set wasn't ready for months, so we were scrambling around trying to fill in anything we could get to shoot. After seeing wow. the scene on film, Cameron felt it worked out considerably well. That is weird, though, especially when you think about just the from the actor's perspective. Yeah, I wonder if she posed for Cameron to sketch her nude. <laughs> <laughs> if it's rehearsal. I guess this is as good a time as any to discuss the actual Heart of the Ocean a little bit, which is a fictional diamond, of course. For the Heart of the Ocean design, London-based jewelers Asprey and Garrard used cubic zirconias set in white gold to create an Edwardian-style necklace to be used as a prop in the film. Asprey and Garrard produced and designed the necklaces. The result was three different and unique designs. Two of their designs were used in the film, while the other went unused until after the film had been released. The three necklaces are commonly known as the original prop, the J. Peterman necklace, 
Don't know what okay. that's related to. <laughs> and the Asprey necklace. The three necklaces are all very similar but have distinguishable differences. I'm pretty sure Celine Dion wore one for one of the performances around this time. Okay. And then one of them has disappeared. Not as a mystery, but just hasn't been seen publicly. It's been kept somewhere or something. Gotcha. They're not real diamonds, so they don't necessarily hold value that insane not, amount of right. value, but they are rare and specific to this film, I guess. Okay. Collector's items, then. This scene was a lot to take in for 14-year-old me. <laughs> Just a lot to process what I was seeing here. Yeah. You started sobbing then. Absolutely brilliant cutback to 1996. With old oh, Rose, with the captivated audience. Yeah. Every, every time they cut stunned. back, that audience is like more on top of yeah. her, like engaged with this story. It works so well now. Right. And of course, we have one specific dude, unsurprisingly, asking what happened next. Me? Yeah. <laughs> Just like both hands under his chin, like looking up. I don't know what it was, but that 101 year old woman telling me that story was the most erotic moment of my life. <laughs> Yeah, that's what she said. She's like, yeah. that was the most erotic moment of my life. And then one of those dudes is just like, no, this is. <laughs> Jack and Rose then evade Lovejoy, who Cal has dispatched in search of her. As he pursues them through the ship, they end up in the cargo hold, finally having sex in an automobile. Yeah, sort of a say-anything moment here with the, the trembling. Like, who is this, Diane Court? It's very easy to see why people were so swept up in this film and the love story. It has all of the right elements. It's forbidden. You have that Romeo and Juliet vibe, the historical element, the doomed future hanging over their heads. That's right. Two young, attractive people on the verge of life. It really checks a lot of boxes. And then you have her hand up on the windshield and the condensation. Yeah. Very sweaty in that car. I know. That was like the most erotic moment for me. Just that handprint. <laughs> when they're laying there, Jack's like, I just put a baby in your belly, you oh, little no. slut. <laughs> <laughs> you spoiled brat. He's <laughs> like, I'm the devil. It's Rosemary's baby. <laughs> on the forward deck, Rose tells Jack that when the ship docks, she's getting off with him. She's officially leaving her old life behind, but then disaster strikes, and the couple witness the ship's collision with an iceberg. These two buffoons up in that just eagle's nest or whatever. Well, it they is. didn't even have the binoculars. It was like yeah, they oh, just were so unprepared for anything like this to happen. Have you seen the binoculars? Not since we left Southampton or something. Like what they the just fuck? weren't worried about yeah. it for some reason. Just an all-around failure for everyone. Yep. Everyone involved coming out looking like a horse's ass. Just a bad job. My bad, guys. Yeah. My bad, as water is filling the ship. It's like one of those things that everybody's just like, well, somebody else w was thinking of that. It was somebody else's job. A lot of passing of the buck That's here. right, yeah. Kicking the ball down the court. This big old bitch starts filling up with ocean water right quick. Yeah, I love our ship's designer, dude. Laying dropping knowledge right away like well compare the third class scenes during these little montages with the first class you have people in slippers being like annoyed oh, and here let me get let me get you a brandy while i usher you you know to the top and deck the bring third class warm. is literally following rats yeah <laughs> <laughs> it isn't subtle but it is effective the cuts back and forth that's right you definitely get it yep 
Jack and Rose overhear the officers and the ship's builder discussing the serious situation, which does conflict with the message of calm that's being filtered throughout the ship, and they realize the potential gravity of the situation. At this point, Cal has already discovered Jack's sketch and Rose's insulting note left inside his safe, along with the necklace. Jack and Rose do return, though, to warn the others about the collision, and Cal has Lovejoy slip the necklace into Jack's coat pocket to frame him for theft. He's taking a new angle to try to break this up. Just get this piece of garbage arrested and i'll have her back all to myself that's right yeah really a cowardly and make her feel stupid for falling for her this con artist maneuvers one thing that bothered me though is that rose evidently was not going to keep the sketch yeah i don't know i don't know what she had in mind (laughs) what was the point of him drawing the sketch if she was just gonna give it to cal as like a fuck you I get what the yeah. fuck you is like. Hey, take a look at this action. It was basically <laughs> like in Jarhead, where that one dude's wife they tape over the deer hunter with her having sex with the neighbor. That was the equivalent of what she was trying to do to Cal. I didn't see Jarhead. Oh wow. Oh, is that a can't miss in the Crosby catalog? <laughs> no, but somebody will get that reference. <laughs> is she really worth it, Cal? It doesn't feel like it at this point. At some point, you got to know when to just give up, right? I guess Keep it was pride. a different time. So he feels like if he can just lock her into that marriage and smack her around, she'll just do whatever he says. And I guess they explain it. It goes beyond Rose with him. It's this I always win thing. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure. I just think back then women were subservient. And so if he could just get her down the aisle and to the altar, she's his property, basically. So it doesn't matter that she's not really in love with him or that she's acting like this now, at least in his mind, I guess. Most unfortunate, Captain. Water, 14 feet above the keel in 10 minutes, in the 4P, in all three holds, and in boiler room six. That's right, sir. When can we get underway, damn it? That's five compartments. She can stay afloat with the first four compartments breached, but not five. Not five. As she goes down by the head, the water will spill over the tops of the bulkheads. At E-deck, from one to the next, back and back. There's no stopping it. The pumps, if we open the, the doors... The pumps buy you time, but minutes only. From this moment, no matter what we do, Titanic will founder. But this ship can't sink. She's made of iron, sir. I assure you, she can. And she will. It is a mathematical certainty. Folks, the ship's going to sink. Yeah. <laughs> Newsflash. Confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> despite This what, thing's going down. Despite its billing is unsinkable, it's going to be parked at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean in about two hours. While Jack is confined in the Master at Arms's office... Cal smacks Rose. Eventually, the necklace will be in Cal's overcoat pocket. That doesn't happen yet, but I figure just get that out of the way. That's right. He puts it in a safe first and then eventually puts it in his pocket. The passengers are brought up to the main deck and told to put on life vests, and then the ship's builder, Andrews, confirms to Rose that the ship will sink while Cal overhears in disbelief. thought it was worth pointing out since we covered Aliens a few months ago, that Jeanette Goldstein, who plays Vasquez... 
Oh. Is the Irish mommy. Wow. Okay. She's in two little moments, one at the gate and then later yeah, a yeah. really sad moment at the bed. That's that right. is Vasquez yeah. from Aliens. Holy shit. <laughs> a Cameron go to. She's a chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Eventually, without ever making a big announcement to the people on the boat, it starts to become clear that this is a real situation. And part of the boat is starting to dip down below the ocean level. It's clearly yeah. tilting. And we're not in a good position here, people. We're talking women and children first and get organized. We're going to start getting on these boats, the lifeboats, and the band comes out and they're playing. And that, of course, is part of the Titanic lore. Not 100% confirmed that was ever proven to be real, but that's something that Cameron may have taken from another Titanic film. Okay. I don't know. It's possible that the band on the Titanic kept playing. I'm I don't not know, sure if but it's ever been confirmed or not. I'll tell you this: it works for this movie. I'm a hundred percent in with these guys playing all the way down to the end, and then they're gonna stop, and then they start again. Yeah, totally for me. Slowly dawning on these first class morons that something is wrong. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at first they're pissed off that this is happening. Why are we stopped? Why would we put on these life vests? Where's my brandy? Yeah, exactly. It's cold out there. Let's go back inside. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, okay. Because what you're really watching is a tragedy in slow motion, and that's what makes shipwrecks like these very unique, especially in this situation where there's no other boats around. Technically, there was, and Cameron did include a scene of it, but then cut it. I think it was like the USS Californian or something was actually very close, but had shut their radio off or something. Oh, wow. And then didn't ever know about the distress calls or anything like that. Something like that. And Cameron did put a scene in there, but then took it out for whatever reason. But whatever. It is a tragedy in slow motion. It's inevitable what's going to happen. There's not enough lifeboats. Some of us aren't going to be making it. In fact, a lot of us. Look around. It's not instantaneous. It's not like the ship blew up. It's like we all have to wait for this to play out. Yeah, it's weird. It's like shockingly quick and slow at the same time. Because <laughs> yeah. two hours, you're like, that is fast. But then a lot can happen in two hours, too. Yeah, because if the ship just blew up, then it would be instantaneous. Right. It's like you have two hours to know that your life might be over. Yeah, yeah. And it's... it starts to pick up speed, but for whatever the first half hour, you're like, depending on what part of the boat you're on, it still seems the same. Yeah, because the side that's not filling up with water is like actually going up a little bit. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> There's no water in here. Yeah. But the ship is filling up with water. Instead of joining her mother and Molly Brown on a lifeboat, Rose flees, spitting in Cal's face in the process. The next 15 to 20 minutes of the film is dedicated to a very intense rescue of Jack because Rose finds out where the Master at Arms' office is from Andrews, goes down into the boat where the water is rising. There's always an electricity concern. There's like I know. sparks and everything. Right. She can't figure out how to get Jack out of there because he's handcuffed to a pipe. They can't find a key. She's like frantically trying to get people to help. I got to tell you, the people she's finding, not a lot of interest. <laughs> understandably right there's a lot of panic on the boat now there's like an hour and a half left in my life and trying to save your boyfriend is not how i want to spend it they don't even give her a chance to explain yeah, I know. what the situation is there is one point where she just collapses to the ground and you think she's almost giving up or something and then she rallies she eventually finds this fire axe she comes back just a one in a million shot to get 
Jack his freedom. It's all very dramatic, and it it's punctuated with little moments of humor, which Jack yeah. somehow maintains up until the very cold and bitter end. Well, it's good to have a sense of humor. Having her do the practice swings thing is yeah, very funny. Yeah, I know. It is hilarious. She takes a practice swing at that bureau, makes a hole, and he's like, all right, try to hit that hole again. And it is not even close <laughs> the second time. And he's, he's like, like, all right, practice. no more practice. Yes. Jack and Rose barely make it back up to the boat deck where order is slipping away and pandemonium reigns. Yeah, although it doesn't get that bad. You know, we're not seeing, like, cannibalism or anything. <laughs> yeah, they're eating each other. Well, no, they do start killing each other That's a little true. bit. That's true, yeah. Lifeboats are going out half-filled because everyone is trying to stick with this idea of class ahead of common sense. Yeah. Instead of just putting as many people as they can onto these lifeboats... They're still segregating as hard as they can, and they don't want to overcrowd these rich people. It's disgusting. It's crazy. No one knows what to do, though, because no one had planned for this to happen. And these- Yeah, and even like trying to figure out who's in charge at this point. You know what I mean? A lot of the people that you would think have been in charge of this operation, like the captain, <laughs> he's kind of checking himself out. Yeah, he realizes that he fucked up. Yeah. And seemingly is having a difficult time accepting it although right. he is willing to go down with the ship the obsession with class and social status remains until the bitter end cal tries to bribe his way onto a lifeboat eventually that dude will come to his senses because even the first time you see him do it you're thinking where am i supposed to spend this at the bottom of the ocean yeah really do you think they have mermaids i can spend yeah, the sun I, down there? i will say you gotta love the commitment of the staff of the titanic at large not just the actual boating dudes, but like the servants and stuff, whatever. Like the servers are still playing their parts up to the end of this. Don't you feel like it would be like Woodstock 99 where they just start taking off their staff shirts? and I'm sure some like, of them did. Yeah. Well, we didn't see those people. But ultimately, when Cal is given the chance to go, he doesn't go. And he chooses to pursue Rose instead, who he hears is on the other side of the boat from Lovejoy. Right. You would potentially get confused and think, well, maybe Cal does have some sort of humanity. He does care about Rose. But then you remember it is this obsession with winning. That's right. Which he points out. Else. Yeah. I always win, Jack. Ismay. Just a sneaks, shameful. Sneaks onto shameful. a lifeboat. <laughs> and that guy sees him and then just lets him do it. His cowardice was world-renowned after the fact. And many, many people pointed out how cowardly it was that this man survived while many women and children did not. I'm not really sure if he ever was able to live it down. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so you wonder, is it worth it to be that guy? I don't know. I don't know. He still lived. In 1912, you could move to North Dakota and nobody knows. <laughs> you know? It's better than being dead, I That's guess. That's right. It is funny how your perspective on these things changes, too. When you're 14, it is all black and white. You're oh, like, yeah. this coward, yeah. or even cow using the baby in a minute, right? is so disgusting. And then now you're like, fuck, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a real good idea. <laughs> Look, we all know Jack's been a great guy and everything. He's basically batting a thousand. But I couldn't help but notice that he doesn't try to get Rose's ass on a lifeboat until after she already declares she won't do it. Right. Just saying. He yeah, didn't yeah. speak up until after she's like, I'm not going to go, Jack. And then he's like, no, no, you should go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
he, he doesn't say anything before that. Right. When they're like, any more women and children? Any more women and children? She's <laughs> yeah, it's not like we there. got one here. Yeah. <laughs> it was getting a little awkward. So yeah, she's yeah. like, I'm not going to go, Jack. Right. Don't worry. <laughs> He's like, no, no, you should go. <laughs> Cal finds the two of them, and both he and Jack urge her to just get on the fucking lifeboat. Cal also falsely claims that he has an arrangement to get both he and Jack off of the ship. So Rose does go. I cannot believe she would buy that. Well, she thinks better of it. Because as the boat is being lowered, Uh Rose is unable to abandon Jack and jumps back aboard and says, You jump, I jump. Which is what they said to each other when she was going to commit suicide Mm -hmm. a couple of days earlier. Which sounds nice, but I feel like if she jumped, I would think twice about jumping. Where's she jumping? I don't know. Incensed, Cal grabs Lovejoy's pistol and chases Rose and Jack into the flooding first-class saloon, firing shots like a goddamn lunatic. (laughs) Just really being an ass at this point. It's martial law. There's no law, really. If he shot both of them dead, what's going to happen? Nothing. (laughs) Unless somebody survives that remembers that he did it or knows what he did. At this point, all bets are off. That's right. The couple managed to get away, and Cal soon realizes that he gave his coat, and consequently the heart of the ocean necklace, to Rose. Later, Cal will manage to board a lifeboat posing as a lost child's father, who has no mother, and so... Just gross. He but, survives. Yep. And then hands that kid off at the first chance that he gets. As soon as people aren't paying attention, he's like, here, here take here, this take thing, this, yeah. please. There's another daring last-second escape from a seriously flooding ship, and we get some legit underwater action with the locked gate situation. That's right, yeah. Because to escape Cal, they went back down into the ship. Now they got to get back up, and they're finding their ways back up or either flooded or blocked. The captain goes back into the... Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call that on a boat. The, the co- bridge? The cockpit. Yeah, I don't the know. Bridge. The cockpit of a boat? Yeah. To wait for the water to get them. The band continues to play after stopping, and then they just restart again. <laughs> well, like, what else are they going to do? I don't know. I'd be trying to get on one of those lifeboats. It's not looking good. Andrews waits alone to go down with the ship, which is contrasted right up against Cal. You have this upper crust gentleman who remains a gentleman to the end, and then you have Cal bribing his way on with a baby. <laughs> right. Even that rich dude, Guggenheim... He's like, no, I'm not going to wear a life jacket. We're going to prepare to go like gentlemen. Yeah. He does look scared at the end, but he commits to it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I like that move. When everybody's panicking and leaving, they just like got dressed up and we're still just going to go drink brandy and smoke cigars. The band starts playing Nearer My God to Thee over a montage of people waiting to die. It's all super sad. Really? You have the two old people laying in bed. And it is just shocking because you're like, wow, it is just so weird how, like, not that long ago, everything was fine. Yeah. Like, it's, it all changes right, pretty quick. Yeah. You think that the old people are sad, and then you return to that little Irish family. Oh, my gosh. And you're yeah. like, oh, my God. She's like Brutal. trying to talk Tuck to these into two sleep. little kids. Yeah. Oof. As all of this progresses, and they're trying to survive and, and stay alive and, and navigate the sinking boat, Jack's expertise in handling this ultra specific situation somehow increases. <laughs> I know. This was hitting me more than any other times I've ever watched this. His guiding them through his plan all the way up to 
the boat's going to try to suck us under. <laughs> yeah, he knew. He just yeah. knew it all. That's right. He's very worldly. He knows things. It gets pretty dark with Cal fighting people off of his lifeboats because it does become this desperation situation where there's people in the water that could potentially pull the lifeboats down, but you have him with like an oar, like fighting people. Oh gosh. Yeah. And then people start dying in crazier and crazier ways, including Jack's buddy Fabrizio, where one of the big steam pipe things falls on him. Yeah. Such a bummer way to go. That other Irish dude gets shot. That's right. Although I'd rather a quick death, I think, than this. I don't think I'm in for a freeze to death over several hours. The guy that shoots him shoots himself. Yeah. The back of the boat starts rising, and as that guy back on the Keldesh said, got a big ass coming out of the water. (laughs) As passengers fall to their deaths, Jack and Rose desperately cling to the stern rail, the place where they first met. The upended ship breaks in half, and the bow section dives downward. The remaining stern slams back onto the ocean, then upends again before it too sinks. So this climatic scene, which features the breakup of the ship directly before it sinks, as well as the final plunge to the bottom of the Atlantic, involved a tilting full-size set, 150 extras, and 100 stunt performers, Cameron criticized previous Titanic films for depicting the liner's final plunge as a graceful slide underwater. He, quote, wanted to depict it as the terrifyingly chaotic event that it really was. When carrying out the sequence, people needed to fall off the increasingly tilting deck, plunging hundreds of feet below and bouncing off railings and propellers on the way down. Just rough. A few attempts to film the sequence with stunt people resulted in some minor injuries, and Cameron halted the more dangerous stunts. The risks were eventually minimized by using computer-generated people for the dangerous falls. I thought this would be a good time to bring this up, though, since he was critical of other Titanic films, but it's also should be noted that Cameron was influenced in his crafting of the film by the 1958 British production A Night to Remember, which he had seen as a youth, he liberally copied some dialogue and scenes from that film, including the lively party of the passengers in steerage and the musicians playing on the deck during the sinking of the ship. Hmm. So that's what I was alluding to earlier. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure if that really happened or if that's just something that started and it has become a legend. Part of the folklore. Yeah, it's in multiple films now. Either way, it makes for a good story. That's right. I remember... When this film came out, I was in middle school, and we had a pool in our middle school, so sometimes with gym class, we would have to do swimming. Horrifying. Awful. Yeah. Awful. Every day was Lord of the Flies. <laughs> We're just being tossed into this water in the middle of the day. It's, It could be February and three degrees outside, yet we're in a pool. Yeah. Horrible. But I can distinctly remember one gym teacher, we did a special lesson, because sometimes you would have canoes. Oh, wow. I know. We had, like, canoes in the pool. And we did this thing where, I guess in honor of Titanic, we <laughs> they it put was, an like, training how to, like, not lose body heat. Okay. While being in the water. Or to maintain, you know, you're still going to lose body heat. But yeah. to seal it off so that you could survive something like that. With the claim being that these people could have lived. And I was like, yeah, well, Wow, what they a didn't. kick in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Jack sure knows a lot, but he didn't know this. Yeah. 
He knew how to deal with a, sh- a sinking ocean liner, but not how to stay alive <laughs> in the water. There's still like almost a half hour left in the runtime of the film when Jack and Rose are in the water. I know, that seems nuts. <laughs> in the freezing water, Jack helps Rose onto a wooden panel, supposedly buoyant enough for only one person. Time goes by and lifeboats are not coming back and people in life jackets are bobbing in the water, freezing to death. So let's let's just talk about it. This is one okay, of the most really. talked about, discussed, controversial moments of the film. Is there enough room for two people on this piece of wood? Yeah, it feels that way. Definitely seems like it's big enough. It feels like he doesn't give it enough attempts. That's exactly yeah. what we put. One attempt, question mark. <laughs> and you're good with that? Yeah, yeah. Nope. It's Surely there's only room enough for one person here. Yeah, well, there's clearly room right, enough right. for two. Can it's it just, support them? Could yeah. it have two people floating on it? I don't know. It seems like maybe a little bit of an oversight with some of these final moments here where you don't want your audience questioning that too much. And I just think maybe it would have been easier to make that thing seem a little smaller. Yeah. But it looks like she's got plenty of room up there. <laughs> she's sprawling out. It's basically the size of my apartment yeah. on that thing. <laughs> But even up until the end, he's still making jokes. Like oh, yeah. In the water. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to the White Star Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. That one brought the house down. I love you, Jack. Don't you do that. Don't you say your goodbyes. Not yet. Do you understand me? I'm so cold. Listen, Rose, you're going to get out of here. You're going to go on, and you're going to make lots of babies, and you're going to watch them grow. You're going to die an old, an old lady, warm in her bed. Not here. Not this night. Not like this. Do you understand me? can feel my body. Winning that ticket, Rose, was the best thing that ever happened to me. It brought me to you. And I'm thankful for that, Rose. I'm thankful. You must. You must. You must do me this honor. You must promise me. That you'll survive. That you won't give up. No matter what happens. No matter how hopeless. Promise me now, Rose. And never let go of that promise. I promise. As things start to look grim for Jack in the water, his hair is turning into icicles and the yeah, whole thing. And not they, the they both look very look. blue. Right. He's making her promise to live. And you can kind of take that to be a, a double-edged sword. Not only does 
survive the moment that they're in right then, but also live her life. Yeah, and he's even bringing up how she's going to have a lot of babies. Yeah. I'm like, well, doesn't she get a say in this? I thought the big reveal would have been that her granddaughter's dad or something was actually already in her belly from <laughs> Jack. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. That might have been too much, though. You're yeah. like, wait, my whole life is a lie? <laughs> Grandma, you bitch! <laughs> like he turns Throws weird. her overboard. <laughs> Jack remains perfect even to the end, of course, is willing to sacrifice himself to make sure... Rose is safe and alive on the wood. It's an interesting way to do this scene, too, because I, I would imagine that most of the audience, especially over a certain age who is kind of familiar with movies, senses where this is headed. It's sure. not yeah. going to be some miracle here for Jack. But the way they do it is they cut away. And historically, I'm not really sure. I know that they wasted a lot of time, and obviously there were so many fuck-ups going on with trying to save right. people. yeah. So there's one hero out of all of the lifeboat guys who's like, all right, let's condense these lifeboats, take this empty one back, and pick up people. It takes forever. The way that they cut away in the movie makes it almost seem like hours have gone by. It just right. seems like so I know. long. Although I think in that temperature water, it would probably not take that long for yeah, everyone yeah. to die. Rose is finally saved by a returning lifeboat, thus keeping the promise to survive, and Jack dies of hypothermia, but he dies off-screen, which is what I was trying to get to. Right. There is no real last dramatic moment, because she doesn't even know that he's dead. She almost sort of, like, passes out. falls asleep, yeah. Yeah. And she says, I'll never let you go, when she realizes he's dead, and then immediately pushes him to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> I'll never let you go, Jack. That's right. See ya. <laughs> but she almost blows it because she's so out of it that they already passed her by, and then she realizes her moment's gone, and then she has to actually get into the water, which would be, I guess, just like knives being plunged into your skin. Seriously. That Grab that guy's whistle and start blowing it so they come back. Yeah, that's resiliency. Another absolutely fabulous cutback to the older Rose telling the story. This time, tears on yeah. people's faces. <laughs> it's so good. Everyone. Even that skeptical guy That's wearing right. the smiley face with the gunshot shirt. Is it the Watchman shirt? I don't think or is so. it not? Oh. I don't think there's a bullet hole in the Watchman. That's true. It should just blood. be blood. His is even more cynical and right. nerdy. Yeah. He probably bought that at like Camelot Music at the mall. <laughs> When he worked there. Who remembers Camelot music, folks? Yeah. Do you? No. The RMS Carpathia rescues the survivors. Rose avoids Cal by hiding among the steerage passengers and then gives her name as Rose Dawson. Just like choking sobs at this point. (laughs) We know we're building to this end credit song. Me and my cousin. Holding hands. A guy basically my age. Both pretending that we're not crying. (laughs) Oh, God. Rose discovers the heart of the ocean necklace in the coat pocket. In the present, Rose says she later heard that Cal committed suicide after losing his fortune in the Wall Street crash of 1929. This is always awkward and funny and random and weird. Just thinking about hearing this story from... Rose's granddaughter's perspective. Yeah. Because clearly, the point of the story is, I didn't love your grandfather as much as I love Jack, (laughs) a guy I knew for two days on a boat. (laughs) 
it's a lot to process. Yeah. Although there is that separation because if I found out this story from my grandparents, I would just think like, oh, that's weird or whatever. It's yeah. not the same as if it's your parents. So it's that level of separation. I, I feel like there's this weird scene with the granddaughter and Bill Paxton too, where it seems like maybe something's gonna happen there. <laughs> Paxton's like, I've been out here at sea for a long time. You know what I'm saying, honey? <laughs> She's basically like. I got secrets, bitch. That's what <laughs> right. Rose is saying. Yeah, like, hey, for sure. You don't know shit about me. Yeah, a lot of therapy sessions for the granddaughter following this trip. And for all intents and purposes, having a boy sketch you nude is way more intimate than sending nudes on a cell phone. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Because, especially if he's the one drawing you. Right. Obviously, if he's not the one drawing you and he's not there or well, whatever, even from then that's not Cal's the same. Cal's perspective, when he finds the picture, it was he's like... Did you have sex with him? No, but this is worse. <laughs> I don't know if it's worse, but it's definitely worse than the today's equivalent of sending nudes over the phone. Sure. Having him draw you, and you have to lay there naked for like an hour or two. That's right. If Jack survived this, he would be like one of those guys that sits in the mall and does caricature drawings. <laughs> <laughs> he just draws people in like 15 minutes. Yeah. Love it abandons his search for the necklace after hearing Rose's story, which is absurd because of the massive investment that would have been in this. I know. I get that he personally has a new perspective, but I just don't think that that would be enough to to stop the machinery that's been going for this search. I think he'd be facing some lawsuits. Alone on the stern of Keldish, Rose takes out the necklace, which has remained in her possession all along, and drops it into the sea over the wreck site. The way that you see this scene in the film is different than how it was originally written and conceived, although Cameron cut it. Originally, Lovett and Rose's granddaughter, I believe, both were there and would witness this, and so Lovett would see the necklace, but he has realized the significance. They even Only had to have a change of heart the next day. He and jumps jumps in. <laughs> No, he's like he's watching her do this in disbelief, and then as soon as she drops the necklace, he dives in. Like, what the fuck? She thought that he had an epiphany, but no, there was no epiphany to be had. I'm glad that they cut it. It really, I think, sounded cheesy yeah. based on having Love It react like, hmm, like nodding, like yes, right. like come on. While Rose sleeps. We see pictures on the dresser depicting a life of freedom and adventure inspired by her conversations with Jack. There's a lot to say about this. Number one, always gets me. Always crying during <laughs> yeah. the pictures. Okay, right. Riding a horse Oh yeah. in the traditional way. None Full of the side saddle yeah. shit. <laughs> also think it's hilarious that she travels with her pictures and no pictures of grandkids or kids. Just pictures of herself. A little (laughs) self-absorbed. Thank you very much. Yeah. This is all I need, pictures of myself (laughs) and my great life. (laughs) It did lead me to wonder, though, we know that she never saw Cal again after getting off the Carpathia, but did she ever see her mother again? Unclear. It seems like that's a no, but that also seems very harsh, and time goes on. And her mom would have gone on to become a seamstress. But let's say her mother lives another 25, 30, 40 years. You're just never going to reach out, you know? Yeah, that is harsh. Rose is terrible. What do you want me to tell you? 
she changes her name and it seems like she just takes a whole new identity. <laughs> She's terrible. She just <laughs> takes a whole new identity. This moment is famous for its ambiguity, something which Cameron says is intentional and he never wanted to commit one way or the other. Both Kate Winslet and Gloria Stewart were on the record as saying that they believe that Rose passes away here and this is her moment to rejoin her move on yeah friends she's like in the right place and this is like the ultimate closure she's come back that's right to where titanic is resting because we see her reunion at titanic's grand staircase with jack and then looking at the clock they're joined by all of those who have died who are there applauding them which seems also very self-centered of rose (laughs) she's like not only do i only travel with pictures of myself i dream that everyone applauds for me (laughs) everyone loves me kissing my boyfriend that i can barely remember i think that also is the idea here that she's come full circle she's finally told this story which was a secret she even tells the others on the keldish that she's never told anyone about jack and they had no record of jack he was just this guy that won a ticket he was basically a no one and so he only existed in her memory, really. And now she's told the story. She's come back to this location. Everything, there's like final closure. And then this is her goodbye. She's joining up with the other souls. I get it. Kind of a bummer for the granddaughter. Now she's got to tote this corpse back to the mainland. Yeah. Like, th- thanks, Was grandma. it really worth this trip? Yeah. Couldn't you have just emailed this to them? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. It's a, it's a tearjerker. Absolutely. Yep. And it got everybody super emotionally invested to the point where people would tell others about this film. It was a huge word of oh, mouth yeah. film, and people went back multiple times That's what to I mean see it. When I was trying to say earlier that I felt like I had seen it, even though I hadn't, because it was just like one of those things where through time and conversations, you just feel like you know everything that happened in the movie because one person talks about this part, and another person talks about another part. And by the time you finally see it, you feel like you, you know everything. Yeah, and it was number one at the box office for something like 16 weeks in a row, Yeah, which is nuts and likely will never happen again. I can't imagine that scenario unless we get into a horrible future where the only things released are like Marvel movies and unless you have to wait to. till the next Marvel yeah. movie or something. But even then, it just seems really unlikely that 16 16 weeks is four months of being number one at the box office. That's crazy. No, I know. And the legacy of the film is that DiCaprio and Winslet become... Icons. Two of our biggest actors for the next 25 years. James Cameron's only made one other feature film since. Kind of unbelievable. Somehow topped himself in terms of box office. And... (laughs) I feel like there were probably some half-hearted attempts over the next 10 years or so to come up with a giant sweeping historical epic, but nothing ever really approaches Titanic. Yeah. You can't even really think of what that would be. In- Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. There's nothing really to compare it to in terms of capturing the public's imagination. For sure. Certainly not. Yeah. And so we thank you, Nikki, for the listener request yeah thanks for reaching out we will return with listener requests in june hopefully we'll get a couple more episodes in before that though that will be our own thing and we'll go from there i think we're good on recommendations this week we are because we're recording this in advance it'll be another week gone by by the time this comes out there's nothing really to talk about right now for us right that's fair yeah okay so 
follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. Reach out to the show on Twitter. Slip into the DMs. Give us a rating and review. Interact with us. We're Seriously. pretty accessible. Really? <laughs> Not hard to find. <laughs> We're just sitting here. Sobbing. Sobbing. Watching movies. Watching Joe Bob on Friday nights on Shudder. <laughs> well, falling asleep to it, anyway. I think that'll do it for Titanic. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.
This is like that big movie that came out, the Titanic. White people always running to jump on some bullshit. Did you go see that long-ass, dry movie? I, I kept saying, everybody know what's gonna happen. God damn it, bring on the water. Let's drown these motherfuckers. You know what it's about. What are we sitting in here three hours for? Worry about this little punk-ass boy in jail. Drown his punk ass. That's a damn shame that whole movie was a Titanic all that long. That movie had a been about black people, wouldn't even been no movie. You ain't never in your life heard of 3,000 black people dying at the same damn time. I don't give a damn if it was on the ship. And I know half us can't swim. But black people would have came up with some shit. Anywhere in the world you'd have drowned black people and you saw the movie, the band was playing as the ship went down. What black band you know gonna keep playing with the damn ship going down? Cool in the gang would have been unplugging shit. Man, let's get the fuck out of here. Let that shit up. God damn it, come on. Wrap this shit up. Let's go. God damn it, let's go. Get that amplifier up for somebody. Fuck around, get shot. 